0: The Song of the Vineyard. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only. Bad fruit. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned or cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delights in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel are likened to a vine, Uh, a vine that uh, God uh, picked as a tender shoot and brought out of Egypt, a vine that the, the God Almighty had planted. And, and tended to the ground and cleared the area and built the walls and did everything he could for this vine to, to blossom and to grow. And so the symbolism of, of, of the vine was very much entrenched in, in, in what, it, what it meant to be a Jew, what it meant to be a, a, a child of Israel. And it, was, it became a, a very prominent symbol to the, to the Jews. So much so that it actually took place of prominence across the front of the temple of God, across the beautiful gate, the archway to the to the holy of Holies, there was a massive vine that was was erected across there to to remind the, the Israelites of the fact that they were, were god 's vine and uh, And historians from that time describe the beauty of this vine and these great grapes that that, that were were made out of gold and jewels and things like that, these precious stones. And so it was a central part of, uh, of, of uh, of the Jewish culture at that time. But the important thing to realize, though, is that although the Old Testament regularly referred to the people of Israel as God's vine planted by God, it's always written in condemnation of the people of Israel. It's always written with the, I planted, I tended, I look for good fruit. But either the vines are barren or the fruit is bad. God took the people of Israel and he planted them and he intended fully for, for, for their, their fruit, their, the, the, the fruit of the nation to reflect his character, to reflect his justice, to reflect His righteousness, to reflect His mercy. He, he, he intended the, the vine of, of the nation of Israel to provide shelter for the surrounding nations, to provide sustenance for them, to draw people unto Him. He planted the vine of Israel so that they may be transformed into a people who reflected Him more and more. And none of that happened. And each time we read about this vineyard in the Old Testament, the fruit is bad. The people weren't transformed. At the moment, we've been moving our way through a series in the latter half of John's Gospel. A series called Transformed. And we're looking at uh, the the. the second half of, of the of, of the Gospel of, of John, where John dedicates a very large chunk of his book to those final few hours that Jesus had with his disciples, then Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, because these were so crucial and in these in these in these in these times, and these last encounters with the disciples, Jesus is trying to get across to them the really important messages. He's trying to hammer home to them what they need to remember because he's not going to be with them for much longer. And we're talking about how these words of Jesus, these teachings of Jesus, at that, that, that time should be transforming us into the people that God wants us to be. And it's with this rich heritage of Israel being seen, being known as God's vine, that Jesus utters the most amazing words to his disciples. We're going to turn and we're going to read together from John chapter 15 and just the first eight verses of it. But we read it with with a couple of things in mind. First of all, it's important to understand how his disciples were hearing his words. How they were hearing his words. And that's based on on, on all this background in terms of the Old Testament and the vineyard. It's also interesting to, to note, we actually don't know where Jesus and his disciples were when Jesus starts talking in chapter 15. Because at the end of chapter 14, he finishes in the upper room and says, Come, let us go. He doesn't arrive to the Garden of Gethsemane to chapter 18. So chapters 15 through to 18, we don't know where he is. Perhaps he is still in the upper room, which is sort of down in this southwestern corner. And perhaps he, he got up to leave and then starts talking. Perhaps they're gazing out windows. Or perhaps they've actually left the upper room and they are walking together as a group, passing the vineyards as they walk. Or perhaps... They are further on in their journey, with the the Mount of Olives being right over to to the eastern part of Jerusalem. Perhaps they are near the Kidron Valley, where you get a great view of the temple of God. And perhaps, perhaps with that in mind, they actually see the beautiful gate, which looks out east over Jerusalem, where they see that vine. Simple answer is we don't know where they were on that journey. But regardless, Jesus utters the most amazing words to his disciples. So let's open your Bibles or your apps together to John 15. And as I read it, I want you to ask yourself, what is the main thing he's trying to say here? Because I think that's going to be key for when it comes to unpacking these verses. Because Jesus gives them an illustration. Point of an illustration to make a point. And I think he makes his main point very obvious. And then I can sit down. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are to be my disciples. As we read these, those verses together, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you guys are getting the main idea of what Jesus is trying to say. The main, the main reason he's 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 writing this passage. Oh, sorry, I didn't flick those verses up. The main reason he's writing the passage is he wants to tell his disciples how to produce good fruit. Because they've got this long history of centuries of a vine that is producing really bad fruit. And Jesus comes into this and says, actually, Israel's never going to produce good fruit. If you want to produce good fruit, it's going to be in me alone. And it's with that main point then that we need to start unpacking the verses And as we unpack the verses, we're going to look at three key characters that Jesus introduces in this illustration. We're going to look at the vine, we're going to look at the gardener, and then we're going to look at the branches. And we're going to look at how all three of these aspects interplay to produce this beautiful, good fruit. So first of all, let's look at the vine. Jesus introduces himself as the vine in the very first verse when he says these incredible words, I am the true vine. This is the seventh of Jesus' great I ams. The seventh time that, that, that John records the, the I ams in his, in his gospel, and that's the final time that he declares it in, in John's gospel. The I am's, the, 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 the phrases where, where, where Jesus speaks of his deity, where he speaks of his authority, where he speaks of, his, of, his, uh, of the fact that he and the Father are one because he takes on God Almighty's name and calls himself the great I am. And he says here, I am the true vine. Now for his disciples, this is remarkable because Israel's always been the vine. Israel's always been the one that God has planted in that fertile land. Israel was the one that God attended. And then Jesus steps into that space and says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Everything that has gone before me is but a shadow. Everything that has gone before me is perhaps just a figment because in me is the true vine. And with that, Jesus declares and makes it clear that the only way that they're going to produce good fruit is through being attached to him, the true vine. And to the Jewish ears of his disciples, this is radical, radical teaching. And as Jesus declares this, let's just pause as Brad said the other day and take note of the singular effect that the has. That Jesus doesn't say at the beginning of these verses, I am a vine and therefore imply that he is a a way that you can please God that you can produce righteous fruits, that you can live this, this fruitful life that brings God glory as we get to at the end. He is the way. Singular, the only way. And he says to them, I am the true vine. So what then are the good fruits that he talks about? Throughout here, he talks about the fact that uh, if you're in him, you'll produce fruit, uh, or that'll be a bountiful crop and things like that. So what are the fruits? Could, uh, now, some people might say that the fruits that he's talking about are soul saved. So the people that we are reaching, and, and, um, and, uh, reaching for, for, for God and drawing to God. And it is true that fruitfulness is used in this way, uh, in the Bible, Paul himself talks about a fruitful missionary, uh, a fruitful uh, mission trip that that uh, he, he, he wants, uh, the, where he talks about the souls being saved. Uh, Jesus himself talks about uh, a bountiful harvest is ready for the harvesting. So he talks about that sort of harvesting uh, when he talks about souls that were uh, are needing to be to be saved and brought it to him. But actually, I don't think that this is the main thing that Jesus is going after here. And actually, fruitfulness in terms of numbers and souls saved, it's not where God goes after either in in the rest of the Bible. God is never concerned about the numbers game. He's deeply concerned about inner transformation. God is never concerned about us ticking off uh, 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 a number sheet in terms of people that we've, we've saved, but he is deeply concerned about inner transformation in you. And through that inner transformation, producing good, righteous works, demonstrating his character through you. And this fits with all, the, all the, the verses we read about in the Old Testament talking about Israel being a bad vine because it, it says, like, those verses in Isaiah, that, that, that God looks for, for justice, but he, but, he, but he finds bloodshed. He looks for righteousness, but he finds cries of dis- distress. So the fruit that he's looking for is these godly characteristics, but he just doesn't see them. And I think this is the main thing that they, that. that, that that Jesus is wanting to go for when he talks about producing this fruit, it's the fruit of, of an interchanged life. It is the fruit of, of godly characteristics. It's demonstrating God's um, justice, his righteousness, his mercy, his grace, his compassion, his love in our lives. And that's why I think, uh, and, and, and equally, sorry, with, with Galatians, you know, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. And when they talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he doesn't talk about the, the, the fruit of the Spirit being lives saved for, for God. He talks about the characteristics of, the, of, of what the Spirit is, is making in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the beautiful fruits that God longs to produce in our life. The reality is that when we are producing these fruits, we are going to draw people to God. We are going to start those conversations. We are going to be used for God to touch people's lives and to be used as his instruments to draw people to him. And so, yes, we will be involved with the whole process of, of people journeying towards God and people being saved. Yes, yes, yes. But that's all secondary to producing the fruit of God's character in our lives and letting that shine in our lives as we live out our lives on a daily basis. And Jesus says if you want to live that life glorifying God by producing this this beautiful fruit then it's in me alone because I am the true vine. There is no other way. I've always been told that if you want to emphasize a point, you repeat it, eh? Well, I think it's worth noting then that in these eight verses Jesus repeats about five times that you need to remain in him. Five times in eight verses I think he wants to get a message through. Once is to say something twice is to emphasize it three times to really emphasize it five times he says remain in me remain in me remain in me remain in the vine remain in me I think Jesus wants his disciples to remain in him. It's in him, and in him alone. I'm just, I'm just astounded, sorry. I'm, my vision must be really poor, because I cannot read my slides at all. Um, I'm going to have to get my glasses checked uh, and it's a bad time to realise that. But, um, I'm sorry, it's got nothing to do with my SIM other than the fact that I've got no idea what's written on my slides. Um, I can't even see the heading from here. So the gardener, yeah, right, so we're up to the right slide. Uh, let me know if the slide doesn't uh, match what I'm saying because I've most probably got the wrong one up. Right. <laughs> sorry about that the second character the second character that, that Jesus wants to introduce in this important relationship is the gardener which he introduces as his father now I think the really important thing again to remember throughout this passage is what is the main message that Jesus is trying to get across what is he trying to illustrate because it's not necessarily doctrinal treatment uh, doctrinal teaching that he is giving at this time. He's trying to illustrate a point and make it clear and obvious for us to see. And he says that the gardener is his father and his father tends to the vine. And what is the father's role in all this? His father's role is to ensure that the branches of the vine produce this beautiful crop. The gardener Uh, The the father is likened to the vineyard keeper who goes along and tends to the vine to ensure that the vine is going to grow and and produce a a, a bountiful crop. And that is why, I I guess, the illustration of the the vine is so so good for this because a a grapevine left to itself just will be rubbish. It needs the tending of the gardener, the tending of the vineyard keeper to, to help it grow and be bountiful And that is the role of the father. Now, verse two in in this passage is really confusing, and uh, it is it is uh, a, a a verse which is is interpreted many different ways. The verse itself says, "He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it'll be even more fruitful." Now, some people interpret this as saying, well, it's clear then that Jesus is teaching that you can lose your salvation. That people who were once in Christ have been cut off, and so therefore you can lose salvation. Other people ref- look at this and they, and they interpret it saying, well, no, it's not that. Uh, he's talking about the nominal Christians, the people who aren't actually Christians who turn up to church or they might like to say that they hold to Christian beliefs, but have never made a personal decision for Jesus Christ. They've never really fully been in the vine. And so that's who it is that, that, the, that the, uh, the gardener is removing. Other people interpret and say, well actually it's, it's most probably more got to do with the fruits. And it's the bad fruits that he is, is removing. And other people say, actually, he's not removing anything. And they've just got the verse completely wrong when the when they've caught it, when they've um, when they interpreted, it, cut off. The reality is, again, that this is an illustration, and the illustration, in terms of its teaching, must be interpreted in light of all the other teaching that Jesus has said. So, when it comes to losing your salvation, we know you can't lose your salvation, because when you've when Jesus teaches, when you believe in Him, you cross from death to life. Jesus teaches that people, that, that, that we are in his hand and no one can snatch him from his hand. Everyone that the Father has given him will remain uh, his. And we know that, that Paul goes on to teach, you know, it's by, by grace that we've been saved through faith. It is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not by works, it is the gift of God. And so if you start adding in works to this, then it becomes a very mucky, mucky picture. And I must admit, as I was sitting down, as I was preparing this, this sermon, I started reading multiple commentaries to try and work out what people's takes on this. I read about eight different commentaries, eight different scholars looking at it. I got about eight different answers. And I thought to myself, how can there be so much confusion about what's going on here? Until I realized one of the, one of the commentators Sort of mentioned actually the terms that Jesus uses in this sentence for cuts off and prunes aren't actually Greek horticultural terms. He doesn't use the horticultural terms of that day when he talks about his father tending to the vine. And so, indeed, the verse, the, the, the word that we've translated here, cuts off, can actually mean lifts up or props up. It can mean lifts your eyes up. It can mean to bundle together to remove. And it can mean to take away completely. And so all of a sudden you've got this, this little bit of the verse where actually it can mean a whole lot. And actually that could change that quite completely, couldn't it? The, 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 the branch that, that wasn't bearing fruit, actually he props up a little bit to get more sun perhaps to help it. Or perhaps he lifts the gaze To God or perhaps it does mean that he cuts it off but the reality is through all of this that he's trying to picture God as the gardener tending to the vine to make it more, more fruitful, tending to you and me as branches to help us produce this fruit because it's his work in us it's his spirit in us It's his life in us, and it's God doing the work. And I think by using non-horticultural terms in here, I think Jesus is trying to emphasize the who that is doing the work, not exactly what that work is as he tends to his vine. The Father lovingly cares for the branches. So that they can produce this bountiful crop, and I love that imagery of 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 the 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 the, the, the um, vineyard. What is a vineyard? Kira, uh, uh, court, cultivator? Someone must know. Oh, I don't know. I really like the image of the gardener. I'll oh, we'll call him the gardener. Then we'll go back to what the. The, the gardener tending the vine, because sometimes God is going to have to remove bits of our lives that perhaps are a bit feel like a bit of a prune to us at the time. Sometimes He is going to have to to cut off potential things that 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 that, that, that hurt at the time. But never is the gardener's hands so close to the vine as when it comes to pruning time, and we can know that his hands are close to us as he tends to us as his branches. And perhaps he does have to prune us a little bit. But he's right there. And his hands are by us. The third character then, in this story, in this illustration, is the branches. And the branches are Jesus' disciples, the branches are you and me. Now, I was thinking to myself, you know, all this vine talk, it's all very good talking to first century Jews about vines. You know, their culture was all about being this vine. They knew vine talk inside and out. They had vines growing on all the, all the buildings. Vineyards were everywhere. And sure, here in New Zealand, we've got some great vineyards. We could produce some fantastic wines. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not an everyday sort of situation for us New Zealanders. And I was thinking, well, how can I ram this home for you? How can I New Zealandize his illustration? And I thought of the Fijal tree. Yes, that, that, that iconic tree that sits in, in the corner of uh, everyone's garden. That... Uh, that, that tree that produces its fruit every autumn that everyone goes crazy for, that beautiful Fijoa uh, fruit. And by the way, I think the like of the Fijoa should be part of residency exams uh, when you come to New Zealand. And I personally think people should be separated purely on the basis of whether they are skin eaters or non-skin eaters. Uh, as for myself, I'm a definite skin eater. So... But, like a good like a good cooking show, I thought I'd bring part of my Fijoa tree today. Now, this 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 branch uh, I uh, I removed from the, the tree uh, a couple of weeks ago because uh, I was trying to reclaim our path. Um, but but never, the, never mind. I, uh, I'm really, really looking forward to this tree producing succulent fruit next year. I'm really looking forward to the, to the, the big fee joas, uh, plump and ripe on this tree. <laughs> <laughs> they won't produce any fruit. Or perhaps if I just, perhaps time, time's a good healer. Time does lots of wonderful things, so I've been told. So perhaps if I just leave it for two years, that might produce fruit. That won't work either. What What about the power of positive thinking? That will produce good fruit for sure. If I surround this branch with positive thoughts, it will grow some beautiful fruit positive thoughts positive thoughts positive won't work either well i know if it doesn't produce fruits you beat the thing don't you Perhaps. Oh. there we'll do it it just needed a beating Still won't work. What? If I use a fake fruit. Fake it to make it, they say. So if I attach a fake fruit to this, and then next year I can pick it off uh, um, and Doesn't taste like the real thing, does it? The truth is darn obvious, isn't it? A branch is only going to produce fruit if it remains attached to the tree. And we sit here and we laugh at these efforts that I'm going to, and I have to ask ourselves, why then? Why then do we think we're going to produce anything beautiful in our lives apart from being linked in to the life giver? Why then do we think that perhaps time will help us produce the fruit? Why do we think that positive thinking will help us produce fruit more pleasing to God? Why do we think we have to beat ourselves every time we produce bad fruit and that will somehow work? Why do we think that, that we need to fake it to make it? When it comes to real life, when it comes to walking our lives in a way that, that honors God, when it comes to living our lives as God intended us to be, fulfilled in, 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 in walking in his truth, in his purpose, in his life, why do we think that we can do any of that apart from being linked in to Jesus apart from having His Spirit work through us, apart from being tended by the Father to produce the fruit in us that He desires. Our role in this story, in this illustration, is to remain. Jesus says it again, just remain. Just remain in me. Just remain in me. Remain lengthened to me. There's a slight problem with how the NIV have interpreted this to make it sound a little bit more modern. They've got rid of the abide word and they've got remain. The problem is when we think of remain, we think of a dog, sit, stay. Sort of like a do nothing, remain. But that's not what Jesus is going after with, with the 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 words that he is using in the Greek language, he's talking about a more active process. He's talking about uh, the, the, the word that's uh, translated remain really means to dwell, to live with. Okay, and that's why actually the old King James version or the American Standard version, if you've got that, will still u- will, 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 the American Standard version still uses that word abide because that produces a whole. A, a, a more dynamic concept to this, this word remain, and that it's not a passive sit there, it's a walking through life together, dwelling with each other, chatting with each other, living life with each other. That's what it means to remain in Jesus. And the other thing that we miss out on with our English translations of the Bible is that it is stressed in such a way that Jesus is basically saying with the verb, this is of utmost importance. This is key. Remember this. This, this, this is what you've got to do. Remain in me. Abide with me. Live with me. Walk with me. Dwell with me. Do you get it? But surely there's got to be something more. And Jesus says, no. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Those are cruel words to people like me. Because that's not how I want to function. I want to do the work. I want to plan. I want to to take control. The other day I ran, I ran a marathon, which was the first marathon I ever ran, and I just thought at the beginning, yeah, I'm going to run this marathon. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to train, and I know what I had to do, and I did the steps, and, it was a, and I worked through it, and I managed to get to the finish line in one piece. But that's how I think. That's how I work. And then to have Jesus come along and say, apart from me, you can do nothing. I hate that. But that's exactly what he says to me. He says, Stuart, you're not going to work your way to a better standing, to more righteous fruits, to to a beautiful crop of fruits by yourself. You need to remain in me. And everything I need, everything I do, needs to be with that as a goal. And at the end of these verses... Jesus says the result of us remaining in him, the result of us abiding, dwelling in him, is that we have this godly transformation. We produce this fruit. This fruit that that the the vines have failed to produce for centuries as a nation of Israel. He produces that good fruit through us as we sit close to him. And it talks about how our prayer life suddenly takes on a new dimension, not because we are powerful in ourselves, but just because we are so used to walking this journey with God that we understand how he thinks, we understand how he sees, we understand how he feels, and he understands how he wants us to pray, and we get this dynamic prayer life going. But ultimately, the main thing that we, 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 we need to be... Uh, aware of is the fact that then and only then do we produce a life glorifying God our maker. Then and only then do we produce a life bringing glory to God because we start to live the lives that God always intended for us to live. And that we do become a shelter for people around. That we do become sustenance for those we rub shoulders with each day as we produce these good crops. That we do draw people Into God. And that is the big idea of the passage. The only way to live a fruitful, God honoring or God glorifying life is in Jesus. Now, that isn't rocket science. And some of you will go away from here a little bit disappointed saying, That's not you, is it? And you're right. It's not you. But we need to be reminded of it again and again and again. That unless we have our relationship with Jesus as center point, unless we are are, are, are drawing closer in our relationship to him, we will never live a life glorifying God. How does, it, how does that work on a day-to-day basis for you? Well, it's going to change. It's going to be different for everyone. But this is certainly where the spiritual disciplines come in. You cannot know Christ more if you're not spending time in his word. You cannot know about him. You cannot understand how God thinks unless you're spending time in his word. And that's where the, the reading of scriptures is so important. It's where prayer is so important. Not only the, 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 the big prayer time, but the prayers throughout the day. The breath prayers saying, God help me. God open my eyes. God help me to see. God help me to feel. God help me to speak. Just little prayers like that uttered throughout the day. It makes us more aware and helps, uh, helps us be aware of his presence with us and, and he can work through us. It's where things like The other disciplines like fasting and things like that all come into play, but they all have one thing in mind. It's all about centering us on God. It's all about centering us on the life of Jesus Christ because it's in him and in him alone that you can really live life. It's in him and only in him That you can really live life at work, as you choose a job career, at school, at home as a parent, as a friend. The only way that you can really produce a God-honoring life in everything we do in life is by remaining in Christ, abiding in him, living in him. And producing his fruit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for uh, this wonderful teaching that uh, Jesus brought his disciples. When he said those beautiful words, I am the true vine. Dear God, I thank you for the life that we have in Jesus. We thank you that he alone is uh, the, the source of true life. And Father, I pray that we will uh, link ourselves into him, that we will walk with him more each day, that we, will be, uh, that we will dwell with him, that we will abide with him. Father, why? Because, Father, we desire to live a life that glorifies you. We desire to produce the fruits that you want and we are dependent solely on you.